Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. All right, welcome back, everyone. Uh, today we have number two of Hashing It Out panels, and today's topic will be on scaling, um, scaling of decentralized systems with an aim or for the example of looking at Ethereum and um, some of the competitors, not necessarily competitors, but things that are attempting to scale different parts of the Ethereum ecosystem. And today on the panel, we have Nick Johnson. We have the alum- an alumni of the Ethereum Foundation, and lead developer of ENS, which is the Ethereum naming system, and Kevin Seknicki, the co-founder of Ava Labs. So why don't we start real quick. Um, each of you are going to give a quick introduction as to kind of um, who you are, what you work on, and then I'll set the stage for what scaling is or what it can be in my personal perspective, and we'll go from there. So Kevin, why don't you give us a start? Sure. Um, most recently, I was... Uh a PhD in uh, distributed systems at uh, Cornell University. Uh, Initially started off um, with a mostly cryptography background, did a a bunch of stuff in fully homework encryption. Um, Immediately after that, I did a bunch of uh, work, research in um, attacks on encrypted databases. And, uh, uh, you know, this was before, this was really before my involvement with cryptocurrencies in general. Uh, and then when I started working on distributed systems, um, I got uh, into cryptocurrencies in a, in a research fashion, although I had been in cryptocurrency space since uh, very early on when I first stumbled upon one of the earliest releases of the Bitcoin client through some very obscure Reddit threads at some point early on. Yeah, uh, yeah this was back in the day when it was just Alexis Ohanian and Spez just t- basically uh, talking to each other on Reddit very, very early on. Um, and I thought it was fascinating. And uh, so for my uh, PhD, I started working in, uh, in research uh, on scaling blockchains. And um, at some point, uh, we also co-founded Ava Labs. And uh, I am now working uh, in a part-time capacity at research and development and part-time on the, on the business side of it. So sort of a hybrid between both. All right. Thanks. Nick, what about you? So uh, I first joined the Ethereum Foundation uh, the day after the DAO hack. Uh, which made for an exciting first couple of weeks. Um, oh, wow. Worked primarily on the uh, Go Ethereum client, um, which I did for a while, and sort of concurrently with that, started working on ENS, the Ethereum name service. Uh, that eventually started taking up most of my time, and then we sort of spun it out of the EF into its own organization. So I now run that, and we uh, work on improving naming and usability in Ethereum. Which is something that's used quite heavily. I, I especially in at least. The projects that I've been involved in, the ENS has been uh, a godsend for me in terms of not having to use addresses as much as possible. But the context of this talk is going to be on scaling and what it means to scale. So um, I come from, uh, I guess, a traditional computational scaling background using an HPC. And I've always thought about the types of different things that can scale. And usually um, when people, I guess when you see conversations on the internet, um, actually this spun from a conversation on the internet, uh, people say, you know, something is trying to uh, help Ethereum or blockchains to scale, or this thing can't scale, or, you know, this all, all we need to do is scale. But the context of scaling can be um, looked at from a couple different perspectives. And in my opinion, um, it's... I don't want to say this is this is like a final, but it, it's usually involved with um, inclusion consensus. So, like how uh, a transaction gets included into the canonical set that everyone looks at within the confines of blockchain. Um, so, this is sometimes called finality or latency. Uh, state bloat, which is basically the, the 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 corpus of the blockchain or the state of things that you're trying to um, say is true. The, and usually that refers to the current state of things. With Bitcoin, that's the UTXO set. 
With Ethereum, it's much, much larger. You have all the variables um, within all the smart contracts, as well as all of the addresses in their account balances, as well as probably a few other things. And so how big that grows and how it scales with transactions over time. And um, you also have the computational overhead of changing these things, searching these things, adding to these things, which uh, kind of goes in with um, syncing from nothing, staying up to date as you have all of the real-time changes within the network happen. And then um, the necessary networking communication overhead. So there's a lot of different things that you can point at when you say this doesn't scale. And these aren't orthogonal to each other either. Uh, and, and so I kind of look at, I've always looked at it from a, um, a chemical dynamics background. I have a PhD in chemistry, so obviously I do that. And it's, it's one of those situations like, what is the current limiting reagent? What is the one piece of um, all of the things mixing together and working together that's limiting the overall reaction from happening? And if you have more of that, or if you stop that, then the whole thing stops. That's kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about scaling. And the discussion that was on um, the Twitter thread was back and forth on whether or not Ethereum, which is um, Ava Labs' implementation of the EVM using Avalanche or Snowball Consensus. You'll have to correct me on that one, Kevin. I'll give you a second to do that here in a second. Um, and that was whether or not, is this scaling Ethereum? Is this an attempt to scale Ethereum? Because what this is recently introduced in the last DevCon as an attempt to scale Ethereum. And so I'm going to start with um, Kevin and ask you, how is this scaling Ethereum? And how does that... Um, how does that work within that whole bunch of junk I just said? Um, I think you, you know, the, the metaphor with the limiting reagent here is is a nice one, but uh, when you come when it comes down to talking about limitations of a particular uh, distributed system, you really need to uh, take a look at the the first keyword there, the particular distributed system. Uh, you need to take a look at what kind of uh, uh, guarantees and families your uh, your consensus protocol that you're implementing provides, um, and then within that framework, you can think about what kinds of limiting agents uh, exist. Um, part of the discussion um, that arose from Twitter as well was whether uh, there are limitations to scaling. A, uh, you know, whether Ethereum is a is a scale a scalability solution for Ethereum, um, but uh, it if you wanted to, you know, really analyze that particular part, you really first have to define what kinds of guarantees uh, Ethereum has, what kinds of guarantees Ethereum has, and then within the confines of the guarantees that Ethereum does, uh, provides, are those sufficient uh, for somebody that uh, that really wants the Ethereum guarantees? And if that's the case, um, then the, I posit that the, the answer to whether Ethereum scales Ethereum is that yes. But Ethereum comes at a uh, cost, which is a different set of guarantees that Ethereum would provide you in the first place, because fundamentally it's a different consensus protocol. It is uh, using, uh, uh, you know, it, it, Ethereum uses longest chain proof of work uh, system, uh, consensus protocol, whereas Ethereum uses a whole new family uh, coming out of Avalanche, which is based on, uh, you know, uh, voting. Uh, it, it spans from uh, you know, lots of work with distributed systems. It's its own family, but ultimately, it's uh, it's a different wild beast. Nakamoto, for example, introduced uh, you know something radical uh, in distributed research, which was the notion of reaching consensus without any identities. This is really what what makes Bitcoin uh, quite revolutionary, um, and it's what made it uh, you know deployable in open permissionless set, uh, settings to begin with. And the question after many of these years is, look, can we still develop very high performance distributed systems uh, still using identities? Um, and what kinds of guarantees do these systems provide you? Um, and uh, within those frameworks, even though they're different guarantees, I would say they're very sufficient uh, to provide you know, a security and decentralization. And so in that sense, Ethereum is a scalability solution of Ethereum. Nick? So, so first of all, I agree that um, Ethereum has different trade-offs than Ethereum, and I think for the most part, as I've seen them described, since of course uh, the, the source code isn't out there yet, um, the, the the 
trade-offs are better. Like I, I would love to have uh, effectively instant finality or, or even just, you know, finality on the order of a current block time would be a great start. Um, I would, would love to have uh, better um, proofs and, and light clients and so on and so forth. Um, but I think that when you're talking about scaling the whole system as opposed to scaling an individual component, you can only really say that if you're scaling the thing that's the current bottleneck. So first you have to identify the bottleneck, the, the limiting reagent, as you said, Corey, um, and agree on what that is. And then you have to assess whether your change actually affects that. And in the case of Ethereum, I believe that the, the main bottlenecks right now are, first of all, the rate at which the state grows, which we want to limit to something sensible, um, and the uh, time it takes to for a, uh, a node to verify transactions so that it can keep up and so that if it's behind, it can catch up. Um, and I think both of those are pretty close to the maximum of what we can reasonably do right now. Uh, at the moment, uh, by some benchmarks, it takes about um, an eighth of the time to process a block, uh, sort of an eighth of real time. So if you're catching up, you can catch up in eight times real time. I don't think we'd want that figure to go much lower than it is today, or it will become very difficult for nodes to catch up. Uh, and in terms of state growth, I think we're uh, at a reasonable limit where if we go too much higher, then uh, the, the state will balloon unacceptably before we have good solutions to either shard the state or reduce the state size. So effectively, you say that I'd say, I, I think I would agree with you, Nick, that um, while AVA provides a, a novel consensus mechanism where, tra where the trade-offs are probably better than how we currently do things inside of Ethereum, it scales the number of transactional throughput you could put through the system by quite a bit. But because we're having a hard time just handling the transactional throughput that we currently have and the growth of the state associated with that throughput, that additional transactional throughput isn't what we need. Um, so it's it's definitely something that pushes the boundaries of what we can currently do. But if you did that, you'd find yourself in a much basically the same in the same place, but with probably better finality. Um, like I don't think I the way I the way I kind of picture it is like uh, say Ethereum is it just switched today, and everything that is on Ethereum is working on Ethereum. Uh, you wouldn't want to go at 200 or 300 or whatever TPS you could possibly do because the state bloat or the or the, the state growth as you have that many transactions going through would not allow the nodes that are process, processing these things to keep up. And the idea of starting from scratch is even more daunting than what it currently is in the, in the, in the ecosystem of how do I get a node onto the network in a trustless way? Kevin? Um, so it, again, I, I would have to go to the first part, which is that we are trying to compare almost apples and oranges a little bit, and it's very difficult. So mm -hmm. we maybe provide a, a little bit of, of, you know, maybe a reductive metaphor uh, framework for describing this. It's very reductive, but maybe it, it achieves something, um, which is that, you know, we're trying to figure out, um, you know, how can we make a car go faster? Um, what are the limiting, uh, you know, agents of making a car go faster, um, which is fundamentally different from how do we make a plane go faster? It's a whole different set of, uh, you know, things that we have to worry about. Um, Ethereum is a longest chain proof of work system, which relies on maintaining the entire state, the entire chain for providing uh, the, the, for providing light clients or anybody that wants to come in bootstrap into the system, the canonical chain. And by definition of how Nakamoto consensus works is that the true canonical chain is the heaviest one. It's the one that has the most proof of work attached to it. Uh, not really lengthiest one. It's really the heaviest one. Um, in classical types of protocols, for example, before I even talk about Avalanche, let me just talk about the classical protocols like PDFT and Paxos that have been known for many decades now. Um, they don't work under any of that uh, uh, notion of, of synchronization. They don't care about what is the heaviest, uh, uh, you know, state of uh, chain here via proof of work. They just care about knowing what the current set of validators is, and they just need to then download this, the latest active state. Anything else in history can be immediately pruned out and removed. So while in Ethereum, it's actually crucial for safety and security to maintain the entire state, 
this is not the case for uh, something like Ethereum, which uh, it only requires maintaining the active state, the state, for example, like, uh, you know, active accounts, uh, it, you can entirely prune out old history. So if you have a light uh, uh, client that wants to come in and wants to verify that a uh, account has been validated, and here's the other interesting part of it, which you can actually decouple um, entirely validation of a transaction um, from the rest of the of the pools of transactions in Ethereum. You come into the system as a light client, all you have to do is query that uh, your transaction has been validated amongst a set of validators, just a few queries. Whereas um, a light client in, uh, uh, in Ethereum would have to actually download uh, a bunch of other, you know, a some sequence of blocks, uh, would have to check uh, that this sequence of blocks is the heaviest one across every possible other sequence of blocks in the, in the network. And then it can confirm with some degree of confidence that this is actually the, the, the final state here. Um, a light client in Ethereum is just a sequence of queries back and forth, nothing else, just a set of uh, messages back and forth, uh, very little overhead. And you can actually uh, have you know, the same kind of finality guarantee that a full uh, node would have, not any less. Um, this is in stark comparison to a light client on, uh, on Ethereum. Full nodes on Ethereum don't need to maintain any other state. They just need to maintain the, the active state. And any new incoming full node, it doesn't need to uh, download the history. It just needs to come in, do a simple set reconciliation uh, algorithm to download the active state, and you're basically done. So yes, while uh, increasing state is a problem in the long term, you can effectively reduce it by a significant amount just from the sheer fact that A, uh, synchronization just requires a bunch of uh, queries. Um, and two, you can get rid of the entire history uh, uh, since the beginning of time. So you can do uh, quite a bit of pruning here. It's very difficult to compare the two consensus protocols. It's like really trying to th think of the limiting reagents of, of a car and then applying that to a limiting reagent. Uh, it must be the same as an airplane. Well, it's not. Airplane has a very different set of limiting uh, agents. Um, and it's the same thing with this, uh, Ethereum versus Ethereum here. If I could maybe pinpoint um, why that is, at least the way I currently understand it, it's it has to do with the way Nakamoto consensus works in the sense that you're not able to check the proof of work unless you have the entire block. Precisely right. Um, so you're coupling the, the block to the ability to do consensus or the data to the ability to do consensus. And because you're not doing that, um, you can do a full version or implementation of the EVM without having to understand the entire state. That is exactly right. So what Nakamoto did is that it traded off the ability to rely on identities for uh, proof of work. It said, I don't care about identities. All I care is that somebody feeds me whatever in the universe is the largest chain. I will check it myself and per protocol definition, that is the true canonical chain. Um, classical protocols, as well as the uh, you know Avalanche family, they do not trade off identities. They still stick to the notion of of you know honest majority identities. Um, and now you do not have this heavy requirement on state. Nick, thoughts? So. Uh... It's important to distinguish the different types of data that we need to download to a client because uh, there, are, there are basically three main components. There are the blocks themselves, uh, the current blockchain state, and logs. Um, and in actual fact, the, the set of all blocks is a minority of the current state. So when we talk about concerns about uh, bloat and, and state growth, we're mostly not talking about the growth of the set of all blocks. We're talking about the growth of the current Ethereum state. So all the, current, all the current account balances, all the variables, all the nonces, and so forth. Um, and, and none of those will change um, under AVA because those, it, those will still have to be maintained. And every full node will still have to download all of the current state, um, all of that data in order to validate. So at best, it lets us discard old blocks. But I would argue that realistically, if we chose to, we could discard old blocks now because Although in principle, Nakamoto consensus relies on only the, the highest proof of work. Realistically, if somebody came out tomorrow and released a new chain that was mined back 
to Genesis um, which had say twice the current proof of work but contained only empty blocks uh, nobody would accept this uh, in fact I would argue that any uh, fork that was longer than say about a day people would socially coordinate to avoid so I know this will drive the hardliners of, of you know the purists crazy but I would be really happy with the system where if you have some way to get a, a good assurance of the state that everybody was on a day ago or a week ago and then sync from there, you could already do that today. And admittedly, that is, um, you know, it, it's not a purist's approach, um, but it, it is effectively how, um, uh, you know, you prevent long range attacks and proof of stake systems as well. So I, I don't think on either of these cases, um, it, it provides a substantial leap forward. What it does do is it makes it easier for us to build systems uh, where we can improve them in future to, to eliminate some of these constraints. But I think we still have to be very concerned about state growth rate in terms of the current state set. Y'all can talk amongst yourselves. You don't need me to. to, to... Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Right. I, don't, I don't want to be too much of a moderator here. Just let's call it a discussion from here. Sounds good. Um, no, absolutely. We 100% do need to be uh, aware of state growth. State growth is uh, very possible and a real thing in Ethereum as well. Um, now, uh, if you do use checkpointing too heavily and you use the social consensus that if there's a fork longer than a day, I would uh, posit that uh, you know you en effectively end up going to the same sort of principles uh, and requirements as uh, Ethereum does. So longest chain proof of work is really not a, uh, a you know a good foundation for building business protocols to begin with because ultimately we're going to have to rely on identities and uh, you know state management that. We, we know to be sane and so on. So maybe, you know, I, I sort of do agree with you on there. Um, so we can probably safely prune the entire state, but ultimately this would still go very much against uh, the, the what longest, uh, what Nakamoto consensus looks like. This is what currently Ethereum does. Um, and if that's the case, if that is a, a you know, community-wide agreement that this is totally fine to do, then you can radically, uh, change the current Ethereum implementation to do quite a bit of pruning, remove quite a bit of data, and really keep things quite succinct. Um, change the EVM implementation to uh, be a little bit faster. And I would probably say the current Ethereum, without any sharding, could then become a system into 1,000 plus TPS uh, pretty easily. I mean, the that still leaves us with the bottleneck of state growth. You know, we can, blo we can trim old blocks, we can trim old logs. But we still have to keep the complete set of state and i still maintain that um without changes to to ethereum and the evm that uh either make state growth more expensive or provide us with ways to ameliorate it so that nodes don't have to store the entire state such as sharding um that still needs to be our limiting factor we can we can turn the knobs up now perhaps by a factor of two if we want if we uh you know if we start deleting old blocks maybe maybe another 0.5 on top of that but we would very quickly run into a scenario where the state just balloons out of control um, and, and we need to solve those problems first. So to use your, your car metaphor where uh, we're equipping our car with a bigger engine but we don't have the traction on the tyres and until we do then I, I don't think you can reasonably say you're scaling Ethereum. You have to fix the things that are bottlenecks first. All right, then I guess we're, let me, let me, let me, let me step in here. I feel as though we're, we're talking about how the avalanche family of consensus protocols can scale Ethereum. Um, but at the same time, Ethereum is changing quite drastically. So we can't we can't say we're going to stick to, to talk, like Nakamoto consensus. That's clearly going out the window as we move to F2.0. Um, and that is a, like, I guess, simultaneously a consensus change as well as a sharding change, which is a, like, a, like how um, overall state is broken up across the entire network. And so you have these almost two, um, if I, if I, want to, if I want to pinpoint state changes and what someone cares about as a participant in this network, you have two extremes here. You have, I only give a shit about the things that I'm doing and nothing else. And I'm only going to keep track of across those things and maybe the history of those things. Um, I'll be able to provide proofs that I'm doing everything appropriately um, if I need to. 
And then the opposite of that, which is more often than not where Nakamoto consensus lies, is I need to understand what everyone's doing all of the time as a participant in this network. Um, and I feel as though like that's that's the scaling that is the main bottleneck of most um, of most blockchain networks right now is everyone wants to validate everything all of the time. And I'm not sure how the, the Avalanche family of consensus protocols handles that particular situation. Uh, sure. So um, first of all, I, I'm not, so the Avalanche family is not, um, you know, uh, orthogonal. I mean, it's not like preclusive of, uh, of uh, using sharding. So if yeah. you certainly want to divide data, you can create multiple shards and you can have uh, Avalanche within each one of these shards. Um, but Sharding introduces its own problems. Uh, latencies across the entire system are going to be uh, as uh, high as the slowest uh, uh, shard. It introduces the uh, it introduces security dilution. So each one of these shards can actually be corrupted much more easily than the entire pool uh, of global validators. And um, uh, three, it's not clear to me. I'm really not convinced that state growth, active state growth, is in fact um, that. Uh, uh, that big of a problem, at least in the next 20 years, especially since, for example, you can effectively uh, do things, simple things like uh, remove state that has been, uh, you know, you can charge some amount of gas for maintaining state over time. And uh, if, uh, uh, if some smart contracts are just not being used and nobody's using them, then certainly those can be easily pruned out. You can only maintain the latest state. So there's all kinds of things that can be done here. You, you would you would think that's simple, but unfortunately, it's very much not. Uh, there's there's been a lot of proposal proposals around state rent, and and any such thing, unfortunately, requires some really substantial changes to the to sort of very base layer fundamental assumptions of Ethereum, and it runs into issues like, do we backport that across all existing contracts? Because if we do, then stuff that was never built with state rent in mind is going to just randomly start failing when they try and read values out of storage and it's not there or the whole contract gets evicted. And if we don't, then what's to stop somebody just deploying a, a basically free storage contract that everybody post-migration uses because it's under the old regime? Sure. I mean, there are certainly issues with it, but, um, uh, you know, in, in all kinds of deployments of the, uh, databases and enterprise, um, you, you typically, you know, you, you can implement a lot of optimizations to remove a lot of state that is uh, kind of, uh, you know, stale. Um, certainly there is all kinds of, you know, before you go down the sharding route, which again, I, I, it, it seriously has issues with security. Um, you need to also consider things like, uh, you know, can you create succinct, uh, uh, proofs of a particular state, uh, that is inactive. If you want to recover it at some point, you can certainly recover it by, uh, relying on certain entities that can provide it for you, uh, into the future. Um, if you're relying on identities regardless, and you're not relying on just along the chain, you don't want to maintain it, these are all viable options that become uh, available to you when you design the system uh, before you even go down the, the sharding route. I, I agree, but I think all of these are improvements we can make to Ethereum. They're not specifically enabled by Avalanche, and, and even to the degree that they might be, uh, it's, it's more that this is a precondition. So you're not scaling Ethereum by adding Avalanche, you're removing one potential future bottleneck, which allows us to make other optimizations. But there are some that we need to make now for better scalability, and those have to be made regardless of which consensus mechanism we write on top of. Well, so there is three prongs to scalability. There is latency, there is throughput, and uh, uh, well, four actually, I would say. There is latency, throughput, there is state growth, and then there is the number of nodes that can participate. Um, Sharding, I would say, you know, it increases latencies, um, it uh, uh, reduces your security, uh, which is different from scalability at, uh, at all completely, um, but it does increase your scalability in terms of uh, state growth. I mean, you can really choose to just manage a particular part of the, of the, of the data. Um, now, you still are, there's multiple things here that, you know, there's multiple prongs here. The saying that Ethereum doesn't scale Ethereum, uh, it does not look at the fact that throughput is immediately into the, you know, if you fix the EVM uh, and you manage state reasonably well, uh, and I'm not saying for the next 50 years, but reasonably well, um, you can get into the several, maybe low thousands of transactions per second. Uh, and right now, for example, for us, 
um, the limiting factor is in fact uh, the, the EVM. Uh, that's because we don't have a very large state and we haven't run into the very large state issue yet. Uh, but uh, you know that that is a limiting factor right now. So if just you purely you know re-engineer the EVM, you are already at several thousand transactions per second, which would basically sustain most real-time applications in the world, and you already have it available today. Sorry, did you say if you nix the EVM? No, no, no. If you uh, if you if you nix the current <laughs> EVM and you get a uh, no, no, we don't. No, no, of course not. If you nix the current right. EVM and you re-update it to a uh, something that is uh, better written. Uh, I mean, currently, if a single node run fresh Geth, we would just bombard it with transactions. It, it hits about 200 TPS. And that's not a state growth issue. That's just purely the fact that the EVM, the way it's been engineered, it cannot go more than that. It cannot execute instructions faster than that. Um, that's quite low as, an, as a virtual machine. So, so but, but again, we're talking about these are changes you could make to the EVM to include improve scalability. You could do those things uh, to Ethereum today without changing the consensus mechanism and it would give us more scale. It would but that's not that's not a hit. That that is not a hit right now. So sorry. Okay, so I guess the, the difference of the of the I guess discussion here is though like the changes that you could make um, that limit the bottleneck that you're currently facing with the EVM can be like aren't precluded to also making um, Ethereum work on Avalanche, you're using Ethereum's consensus. So, I guess what I, I, if I'm trying, if I hear this correctly, Nick, you're saying that those changes can be done without any changes to consensus whatsoever to scale Ethereum. And those aren't necessarily Ethereum; those are just EVM optimizations, which are needed for sure. Uh, what I and what I guess what that what that means, if that is the case, and I'm and I'm right there, uh, is that the consensus protocol takes the ceiling off. Of what you can do if you optimize the if you optimize Ethereum, because if you didn't do that, if you if you did all of the optimizations with the EVM to allow it to do many transactions per second based on pure computational load, um, you're going to run into consensus problems pretty quickly. Yeah, and I think that um, yeah, effectively what what it's doing is it's removing a future bottleneck. If it, to, to use the car metaphor, if I if I say I'm going to make your car run faster and I go and replace it with a more powerful engine, uh, but the, the limiting factor, uh, factor was your tires, you're not going to be terribly satisfied when, when I say, there you go, now all you have to do is replace your tires because I didn't do what I said on the tin. I think if I said something more specific, like I'm going to you know, improve your car's future performance after upgrades, then that would be a different matter. So that is not the case. If you uh, were to, in fact, plug in a brand new shiny EVM to the Ethereum uh, code base, you would see zero improvements. Why? Because right now, Ethereum is not hitting 200 transactions per second. Once it hits 200 transactions per second, the EVM will, in fact, be the limiting factor here. So what do you think is the current limiting factor? It's just the fact that Nakamoto, the way it's written, uh, it cannot handle, because you have a particular gas limit. It doesn't actually matter. If you change the gas limit, it doesn't actually matter too much. But the way that Nakamoto works is not designed to be handling more than 15 transactions per second or so. It's just not. You cannot, you cannot get uh, Nakamoto uh, to be at you know hundreds or whatever thousands of transactions per second, it's just not designed for that. Can you point to a reason why? It's the way that Nakamoto was designed. It it uh, sacrifices this performance. Uh, in return, it gets arbitrary scalability in the number of nodes because it doesn't even care about identities. This is like the the groundbreaking thing that's not supposed to did. Uh, it entirely throws that requirement out the door of identities. Um, and instead, it relies on just waiting for block intervals and locally accumulating this proof of work. That rate at which this proof of work is being generated is, in fact, the limiting factor here for, for Ethereum and, and really any uh, protocol that uses longest chain Nakamoto style consensus protocols. Um, so if you were to remove the EVM and remove it with place something new shine in there, and I strongly recommend if anybody is listening to actually do this like if they have a you know brand new EVM uh, just plug it in and see how that it works it is not a limiting factor it will not change the performance guarantees uh, of, of ethereum so uh, there's definitely a trade-off between 
um, block processing times and uncle rates, which is effectively a trade-off between uh, block process processing times and the stability of the network. If, if your blocks take too long to process and propagate, then you no longer have a stable leader and you no longer have a stable consensus. But what I'm missing is how you conclude that the limit today is the absolute limit, because everything I'm aware of, if we look at the, uh, the current uncle rates, they're only about 10%. They've been substantially higher in the past. If we look at the amount of time it takes to process a block, it's about one-eighth of real time. So you can catch up at eight times real time. Um, I, it's, I haven't done simulations, but at a, at a wild guess, I would say we could probably double the gas limit without, uh, if, without risking consensus today. You probably can, uh, but if you if the catch up, um, I, I would put I would do the following: take the uh, Ethereum, uh, take a single node, blast with transactions. You're getting about 200 transactions per second right now, uh, I believe. This is as fast as the EVM goes. Uh, the if you were to remove the EVM completely and you were to just basically uh, create consensus on effectively uh, just empty messages, don't even touch the EVM you cannot get more than, put some bounded number of empty messages, uh, like each empty message is, well, I don't know, 20 kilobytes or something like that, um, just zeros. Uh, fix some number of them at max per block and try out now how fast Nakamoto can be if you fix the, the block generation rate uh, and that you, which, which dictates the, the nonce uh, difficulty, you will immediately hit rates of about you know, 20 and less transactions per second. This has been tried for years. This is what, I mean, Bitcoin reaches about 10, 7 to 10. Ethereum is slightly faster, uh, but uh, not by much. Uh, these are fundamental limitations to Nakamoto, not to the EVM, not to Uncle Rates or Gas Limit or anything. Just literally replace blocks, remove EVM completely, and just put in uh, messages of transactions that are just zeros uh, and see how fast that goes. So, so this is a little too hand wavy for me. You're suggesting that if we, I mean, if we removed the EVM and just sent empty messages, then the block processing time on nodes would, would plummet, and therefore the uh, the chances of mining two blocks simult effectively simultaneously would also plummet. But you're suggesting that somehow there's some fundamental limit other than that that the the effectively the processing time for for a node before it can and it can accept a block is irrelevant. So what is this? What's the source of this fundamental limit? So if I, oh, can I, I, I want to try and um, throw in my, my current view of things, especially with terms of Nakamoto consensus, um, is you have a pool of transactions, right? We're just going to call it, like people want to throw transactions. And we're going to call that arbitrarily large. People just throw a shitload of transactions into a pool. Um, and those, that's always going to be full. And then you have a group of nodes that are going to pull from that pool. And for now, just because to make it easy, we're going to all call it zero. So there's no actual computational time to verify or validate those transactions among a given rule set. Currently, that's what you have to do to make sure that a transaction is following all the rules, blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. Big pool of transactions. They're all valid. Um, now, as a node, what I would like to do under Nakamoto consensus is to grab these things, order them, hash that block with a few with a little bit of metadata until I get a specific hash under a threshold of the network and then and then publish it. You're saying the process of doing that will fundamentally limit you to we'll say 30 transactions if we're being nice here. That's exactly right. So if you want me to get into the actual theoretical um, uh, mathematical model here, um, what I can do is maybe provide you with an analogy of uh, of um, uh, well, fundamentally, the reason really why there is this limitation is because Bitcoin is synchronous. Nakamoto is synchronous. So, the way that Nakamoto has been structured from the theoretical perspective is that you have a uh, limit to uh, which is set per parameters at the beginning to how much data can be generated for a particular block, and for that particular block, it has an upper upper limit. There is a rate at which this block can be generated. So let's suppose, for example, I have a basket and I'm trying to move the basket from point A to point B. Um, I, I put in, I don't know, fruits in the basket. Uh, the fruits come in at thousands of fruits per second, whatever it may be, but I can only fit in about a hundred fruits in this basket. And the other limiting agent in Nakamoto is that I can move the basket from point A to point B 
on average, about every 10 minutes. Like this is how long it takes for me to move this basket from point A to point B. Um, no, doesn't matter how fast, like whatever I do, I don't even need to validate that any of the fruits are valid. Like it, it can be, it can be some, some fake fruit in there, I don't care. I still cannot get this, uh, this uh, uh, basket faster from this point to this other point because we have chosen the synchronicity assumption prop, uh, block application delay in the network to be precisely 10 minutes on average rather. I mean, it can, it can uh, have a lot of variance, but this is how much I can fit in these pipes. This is how much my, uh, I can possibly process. It doesn't even matter the validation. This is a theoretical limitation of actually all synchronous protocols. In asynchronous protocols, you don't actually have this limitation. So, um, and really any implementation of, of distributed systems in, in high performance databases, Paxos, whatever it may be, they don't actually, they're not synchronous. They couldn't care less about how fast something goes from one place. As long as you get some threshold number of signatures, which really at that point becomes a physical limitation of how fast you can propagate, uh, you, can, you can send a message across the network, um, you really become limited, but not, not by the, the slowest, this, this hard limit that we've all placed of 10 minutes, but by the uh, fastest minimum quorum of two thirds that you can possibly reach. If that fastest minimum quorum is, let's say every second, you can reach it, then that's how fast asynchronous systems can go. You can reach a quorum every second and you can fit as much data as you possibly can every second. In Nakamoto style consensus protocols, um, it doesn't matter we still have to, on average, generate a block every 10 minutes. So there is a limitation on these pipes on how much data we can put through them. So you have, um, with Nakamoto consensus, you're saying there's, the, the, I guess, fundamentally two real set numbers within the network that limit the bandwidth. Like we'll just call it the bandwidth, transaction per second, or the scale at which it can, it can pump transactions through. And that is going to be the block rate, how fast blocks are being produced, and the size of these blocks, right? The multiplication of those two things gives you the number of transactions you can fit with, you know, transactions being a variable number, depending on what you're trying to do. Because Absolutely. of that, you have a, you will always have a limit on how many things you can put through, regardless of demand. Absolutely, and, and, that's exactly right. And, and but... There's two things you can do in that situation. One is decrease the block time, which has, um, which has a fundamental limit in terms of how small you can go, because you need to propagate these blocks across the network. And then you have, or you can increase the block size, which also has an issue depending on the network availability and bandwidth of everyone participating in the network to propagate that block across the network within the block time. That's exactly right. Uh, it's not like, you know, you may say, oh, okay, those are the two fundamental limits, which they are. Why does it, you don't just make the block much larger? And why don't you make the time uh, for creation of block much smaller? Well, because it actually has uh, security uh, uh, issues. I mean, you, you preclude certain nodes that are low powered in their hardware from ever being able to catch up. If there is very high powered nodes, uh, they can actually always be at the forefront and generate blocks faster than everybody else. So I think the question here, um, which, I'm, which I, I believe um, this, is Nick's, this is Nick's position, is that that's not the bottleneck right now. Well, it's it's not just that. I mean, uh, what, you're saying that there's this fundamental limit of 15-ish transactions per second, but but then you talk about you know block sizes and block times, block times and and, and block sizes. The the size of your basket and your metaphor are, are parameters you can adjust, and we know that there are upper limits because we can look at things like uncle rates. We can look at how often somebody mines a node, uh, mines a um, a block while another block had already been mined. So effectively them happening simultaneously. And the rate of this happening simultaneously depends on your propagation and processing times. Um, those give us an insight into how close we are to the upper limit. But what you were asserting is that there is some fundamental limit of uh, 12 items of fruit a second and that, that what's really wild to me is that it doesn't matter how big those items are, that you can carry 12 strawberries or 12 watermelons, because you were saying that you could eliminate the EVM, you could just trans process empty transactions, and your limit would still be the same. And I just don't see how that's possible. No, 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 no. Let me, let me clarify. Um, there is not, the, the, there's nothing magical about 12 or 15 or 30. There is, um, precisely as Corey said, the limitation, fundamental limitation for all uh, Nakamoto-style consensus protocols is the precise number that you get after fixing the parameters, two parameters, which is the block propagation, uh, which fixes, I mean, the, 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 the proof of work difficulty 
and then the um, uh, size of each block. Once you fix those two, you happen to have a fundamental upper limit. In Bitcoin, it has been fixed at 10 minutes uh, per, per block generation and at two uh, uh, megabytes per block, we have how, I'm not sure how big each transaction in Bitcoin is, uh, but whatever the size of the transaction is, it ends up being about uh, seven, three to seven transactions per second for this environment specifically. If you were to change these parameters, the block size and the uh, uh, time to to create each block, call that you Bitcoin would get cash. Number. <laughs> yeah, something like that. You would get you would absolutely get different numbers. So there's nothing magical about twelve. But once you do fix those numbers, then you have effectively fixed the the uh, the, uh, the upper limits of of that particular consensus protocol. But but we're not talking about scaling Ethereum without changing any of those parameters. Naturally, scaling Ethereum would require change, changing those parameters. The Ethereum gas limit has varied since launch at about four million to today at about ten million. Uh, yeah, you were suggesting earlier that that Ethereum was at a fundamental limit that we couldn't scale any larger, and now you're no. saying that that's, if you hold the parameters steady, but that's obvious and uninteresting. We we know that what the limit is with the current parameters. The question is, can we turn them higher? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, the interesting part that I'm saying is that the EVM is not the limitation. You have, uh, you claim that the EVM is the limitation right now. I am claiming that for Ethereum, far from it. With the current parameters that we have with Ethereum, EVM has nowhere hit the ceiling. Uh, we have fundamental limitation on how fast we can generate these blocks and how much transactions we can fit. If you increase block size, whatever, you do all that stuff, at some point you may hit uh, the EVM uh, ceiling. However, be aware that you're going to have issues with securing the system where you preclude certain low-powered nodes. So you end up centralizing uh, block creation uh, amongst the really powerful nodes that can fit a lot, a lot of bandwidth. Um, so whereas where I'm saying, the interesting part, is that we've removed that bottleneck. Now for Ethereum, the EVM is in fact the bottleneck. You hit about 200 transactions per second. The EVM is unable to, to validate transactions any faster. If you were to replace the EVM, you would get to 1,000 plus whatever it may be. But we don't have a replace the EVM. We, we don't know what, uh, what to use instead of it. So I'm kind of curious. I'm, I'm kind of curious here. Um, how would we test this? Uh, it's one of those situations where I feel as though the test was made as, as a spherical chicken, right? Um, but there may be things that are missing from how you've done um, this test that the, like, in, the, in, the, in the natural state of Ethereum may change your tests is can you say like if you just like how could we test this is did you fork the entirety of ethereum and then run these tests or did you run on an empty state where they're you're not you're not really processing that much in the process of doing this type of thing so then the evm hits 200 i'm, I'm kind of curious I, I would like to know more about the tests to see if it was an appropriate i guess like conclusion that that was the, that was that was a limit that was a bottleneck at that time or like um, if it wasn't how could we improve them yeah so the ethereum website uh states uh very clear that this is ethereum light which is a empty uh it started off as an empty state mm -hmm. um we uh have not that uh, hidden that but it's a full it's the full evm no changes to it all the transactions are contract invocations uh account transfers and so on so they're not like empty transactions and uh by far there uh we even included uh, a uh, you know, some, some profiling. By far, the limiting issue here is uh, the interaction with the EVM. The EVM has a lot of processing that it's doing, a lot of RPC invocations internally for some reason that we haven't really uh, dug too much deep into it. But that happens to be the, the, the load on the CPU by far. Um, the load on the consensus part is basically none on our end. Um, yes, we, it would be fantastic to uh, fork the entire Ethereum state and start from there. We have not done that yet. At some point, we I'm will. Gonna, uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. But uh, go ahead, Nick. It isn't what you just said uh, refuting what you said earlier? You just said that the EVM is the bottleneck. But earlier on, you were saying it's not the bottleneck. N okay. So EVM is the bottleneck for Ethereum. EVM is not the bottleneck for Ethereum. Very confusing pronunciations. So uh, it, is, it is, in fact, the bottleneck for our implementation in AVA because consensus, you know, it just generates things very fast. It's now just the validation of these transactions. Um, so basically there's 90, I think something like 80% of the, of the load um, uh, right now is just on the EVM uh, in our okay. calls. 
so, so, but you're saying the reason you're saying EVM is not the bottleneck for Ethereum is because the gas limit has turned too low. Uh, it's if if you were to change those things, whatever you, I mean, you would have to change the block propagation time. You would have to uh, sorry the block propag uh, generation time. You would also have to change the sizes um, of each block. Um, I would be very curious to see if anybody has actually done empirical uh, testing on just removing the EVM or really just on Bitcoin implementation because it doesn't have a virtual machine. But I'd be very curious to see like how different parameters, uh, uh, you know, what kinds of activity the network gets with different parameters. But I don't think anybody has done that. Well, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that the under Ethereum, the constraint of, of uh, or, or in fact, under Ethereum, uh, the constraint is <laughs> lighter weight. <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and the accents, uh, yeah, they, they don't help. Uh, the constraint is that lighter weight nodes can't keep up, but that doesn't change with Ethereum because you you still, your nodes need to process all the, the EVM transactions. Your your scalability limits in the same are, are either ca are the same. You also addressed that you you asserted that if we removed the EVM from the equation and just processed empty transactions, you wouldn't be able to get any more transactions per second. But that's also not true because uh, it, it, with a gas limit of ten thousand, if all we did was simple value transfers, we could do about thirty five transactions a second. The reason it's lower is because we're doing more processing time. We're using more gas to do more complex work. But the limit the, you just went from fifteen to thirty five. That's a minuscule yeah. increase. It's, it's uh, doubled. I don't think that more than doubled is minuscule. The point is whether it's the bottleneck or not. And right now, the bottleneck is our willingness to put stress on low resource nodes that want to be able to verify transactions, and our willingness to accept growth in the state. No, no, Nick, Nick. Uh, the the in Ethereum on Ava, the uh, bottleneck is um, the speed of generation here is as fast as the 80th percentile because that's why we set the threshold for the quorum. 80th percentile uh, uh, slowest node can process uh, transactions. In it, it's only about consensus, though. Here, aren't you? You're no, no, no. I'm talking. I'm talking about full. No, no. I'm talking about full processing. So it's as fast as the 80th percentile node can validate and then uh, respond to queries in the network. Um, okay. In Ethereum, you can only go as fast. Um, right now as the nakamoto consensus allows you to go we've established that we can adjust those parameters and that that you're not asserting that we're at the the safe safe limit for that just that those are the current parameters no no if you were to adjust those parameters you would get not massive performance increases you would get a small performance increase well, but you just called a factor of two a small performance increase it is a small we're, we're talking about 100x a thousand x kinds of performance okay, that's so, real so... scalability so, so if we're doing uh, 200 QPS transactions per second on, on Ava uh, and my node goes offline for an hour, how long will it take it to catch up? Uh, currently, because you would have to, I mean, what you can do, you don't have to ever worry about validation of all transactions that have been finalized. You just come in, download the entire state. Uh, you would have to query that this is amongst some uh, threshold majority of nodes. And then from that on, it's just really a matter of how fast you can download that, that data. So this is how fast it would go on Ethereum. So there's no, you don't have to revalidate every transaction across the entire network. And that's, I think nope. that's a fundamental thing of Nakamoto consensus. In order to catch up, you need to do everything the network has done since you've been gone. Exactly right, because you have to validate the link. That, that's not actually true. We already use FastSync. And in FastSync, we validate the proof of work, but we don't validate the intermediate transactions because yep. we assume that a majority of the network was was behaving you know honestly that they didn't have a 51 percent attack while we were gone that changed the consensus rules i guess we could we could probably throw away a good portion of the arguments around fast sync and not um that is what most people do within the network and it's reasonably secure across what it's doing um and like is that it like is that a bottleneck like even just even just downloading the states from people and then and then validating proof of work across across the blocks of all those state state changes is that is that a bottleneck is that a problem i, I think it certainly would be operating at the sort of limit limits kevin's describing uh, i mean you you said that the this is the your performance benchmarks were taken at the 80th percentile so that means unless i have it inverted uh, that 80 percent of nodes were unable to keep up with the transaction throughput 80 percent of the 
80% of the nodes, so uh, currently, oh, sorry, there's a move here. Uh, the 80% of the nodes, um, uh, so a quorum in, in ABBA in order for you to create uh, you know, a valid certificate and move on with, with the, something that's been confirmed is about 80% that we've currently set up. So that's where the 80% comes in. So, you know, there could be. Right, right. So that means that, uh, um, you know, you have to wait basically for the first, uh, you have to wait until 80% of the nodes say, good, this transaction looks good. We've finalized it and we move on and we validate it. Currently, right now, this propagation uh, is faster than it takes for, it's faster than 200 transactions per second. So the current limit right now is at the EVM. Uh, we are unable to go faster than that or propagate anything faster than that because we haven't validated the transaction to begin with. And currently the EVM is really the bottleneck. I'm curious if uh, what you're discussing here, Kevin, is if, like, are you talking about every transaction that happens on the network so that we're modeling, we're actually modeling Ethereum and we're scaling that? Yeah, every transaction that happens to the network goes through the same procedure. It the, no the transaction comes in. Uh, you put it through the EVM, you check the, the validity of the transaction, check signatures and everything. Uh, if it looks valid, then you start querying other nodes. Other nodes are the same thing. They query you, they say, hey, does this transaction look like it's the next one in the, in the block? Should it be included? And um, that process of querying is far from the bottleneck for us right now. It's really in the first part, which is in taking the transaction, putting it through the EVM, and, uh, and checking that this is actually a valid transaction. So that rate at which we can do that happens to be about 200 or 300 transactions per second right now for us. Um, the, the, once you get the validation, just saying, hey, is this looks good, that process is very fast. And that process can be modeled via you know, what Avalanche is doing, uh, not Snowman, which is what, what's running behind Ethereum. And that one is at 10,000 plus transactions per second. Uh, so that's how many decisions or like queries per second basically you can do um, if you didn't have the EVM bottleneck on Ethereum right now. All right. Uh, we're sitting at about an hour now. Um, I think it's a good way to wrap this up. And in the process of doing that, I guess I want to give each of you kind of a, like a, some final final thoughts on um, where you stand from here. Um, I'm not terribly sure we came to a final conclusion on <laughs> what's currently happening, but it's definitely a subtle argument Um there's a lot to be learned in, I uh, guess, as Ethereum grows, how well it's doing and, and whether or not where that bottleneck is. Because there's there's a, like I said when I first started this, there's a tremendous amount of things that can scale. And if you look at the, I guess, going back to my analogy, the chemical dynamics of everything that is going on within Ethereum, uh, there's a lot of interactions between each other. And I'm not, I'm still not terribly sure what that limiting reagent is. And how, and this is the important part, the switch of consensus affects that because it's not it's not orthogonal. And I'm I'm very curious to see one, um, how the potential switch to Ethereum 2.0 and all of those consensus changes make a difference here, and what the actual I guess connections are with. Um, how the switch of was it, is it sorry snowball for Ethereum snowman snowman sorry snow snowman for Ethereum and how that affects what currently bottlenecks Ethereum whether or not the state changes so on and so forth affect that so uh, a couple of final thoughts from you guys Nick why don't you go ahead and get started uh, so I guess I would say that Kevin has reasonably convinced me that from the transaction throughput point of view, from the, the issue of nodes being able to keep up, um, provided that Ethereum uh, uh, signers could be penalized for, um, for, for accepting invalid transactions, then I think it might be safe to increase the transaction throughput um, because you can get guarantees from this sort of consensus mechanism you can't get from Nakamoto consensus. Um, but I would say that the... The thing that still worries me that I still think is the primary scaling bottleneck is the rate of growth of the current state set and that any increase at the moment without ways to mitigate that is going to uh, to have significant uh, a negative impact on the long-term survivability of Ethereum. So I guess my Swiftian proposal would be uh, if you were to take Ethereum and you were to take a copy of the current state and, and restructure it as a zero client so that clients aren't expected to store data but it's all carried along with the transactions, 
um, that would be uh, wild, and and I would agree that that was scaling Ethereum. Um, so I would um, first of all, this is a fantastic discussion. So I'd have to agree with uh, Nick in that uh, you know perpetual state increases are always an issue, um, certainly with any database. Um, sharding is a great solution to this. Um, you know the way that Ava was designed, the Ava network. Um, we uh, we allow this this notion of sub networks where anybody can create a new network precisely because we want to give the ability to for people not to have or not to be stuck to this one giant uh, chain that everybody must validate. You can actually create your own chains that have their own rules, uh, their own virtual machines, and so on. Uh, you can of course, uh, if if uh, perpetual state growth of active state is in fact a concern, and other solutions are not uh, immediately possible or you know, realistic, uh, then um, certainly, you know, some form of sharding could be considered within uh, a theorem as well. Um, but I would still have to uh, really, you know, sustain my position that um, currently, at least, um, we've removed, uh, we've effectively entirely rechanged some of the limiting reagents of what distributed consensus, uh, uh, you know, what the limits of distributed consensus are with a theorem. Um, currently, you know, we have full backwards compatibility with Ethereum because we, you know, we just use the EVM and that happens to be, in fact, a bottleneck for us and we have empirical data because we have tested this. We, we can profile the entire uh, uh, code base and uh, the consensus part is basically no, um, no overhead right now. Um, and I will still have to really stick to, you know, my background and my studies that Nakamura consensus, in fact, um, is a, a fundamental, well, it's actually not Nakamoto consensus in general. That's not the problem. It's the problem of synchronicity. Every single protocol that is synchronous will have this fundamental limitation uh, because it requires to wait for some number of, of minutes and or seconds, whatever it may be, for, for some minimum amount of data to pass through. Um, you know, synchronous protocols are great uh, for because they're simple, um, but ultimately they have this limitation. Nakamoto is one of them, and it has that limitation. Changing these parameters will uh, change uh, the performance uh, of Ethereum uh, immediately, uh, but it will not scale it to, uh, let me say, for lack of a better term, Visa-level performance, so 1,000 plus. I would be very, very shocked if, if that were the case. And if it did, if you were to find acceptable parameters by the community, that were that everybody thought, you know said hey thumbs up that's a good idea let's change these parameters uh, and you did get um, just empty message consensus at thousands of transactions per second with the current longest chain Ethereum then you would get to the current problem of Ethereum which is that the EVM is the bottleneck at 200 transactions per second so uh, you would you would be stuck there um, in in any case that's my final thoughts well guys um, first off thanks for agreeing to do this I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I hope we can have more of them uh, because it, th these, these problems aren't hard. Or, sorry, these problems are not easy. <laughs> yeah, they're certainly hard. We all know that in the process of trying to, to solve them. Um, and conversations like this at least help us figure out where the problems exist so we can ask good questions. Um, and without good questions, we really can't find good solutions. So thanks for coming on. Um, if those who are listening would like to participate in this conversation, Tweet at us. Um, I'm at hashing it out pod or at core petty. Um, guys, how can people reach you to tell you what they thought was wrong or right about what you just said? Go ahead, Nick. I'm uh, at Nick Kesty Johnson because I joined Twitter late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm at, uh, at Kevin Seknicki. And if you want to troll me in real life, I would be at SF Blockchain League at some point next week. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks.